Kuma Bilasha. We're thrilled to have you with us. Uh, we didn't ask you to be on this podcast because of your stellar MBA and academic records, so on and so forth. I asked you because you're an in- incredibly interesting person to have a conversation with. So tell us who you are. Thanks, Utkarsh. Um, so I'll actually begin by talking about the stuff that's not the usual. Um, you know, everyone talks about the professional and uh, your different work, achieve- work focus areas. So I'm essentially a traveler. Um, I love traveling in my personal life. I do, you know, that's that's one of the things that I do a lot to de-stress. I explore a lot. Um, and that's essentially also the theme of my career. Um, so I'd like to begin by sort of always calling myself a traveler and explorer. I began, I trained as an engineer. Um, I went to IIT Delhi. I trained as a mechanical engineer, in fact. Uh, did very little, if anything, related to it. Um, but I think the, one of the most interesting things that happened to me when I was an undergrad was that I decided to, uh, that I liked the intersection of technology and society, and I liked things that were um, cross-cutting across different dimensions. Uh, again, I, contrary to a lot of other people, I didn't plan many things out. Um, I live my life on hypotheses. I like trying testing some things out and seeing if they work or don't, because whenever I've planned something, it hasn't worked out. Um, so I like to try and like try and explore and like run different hypotheses. I was very fortunate to get into um, Harvard's early admit program, which is something where you get an admission in your final year of undergrad, and that turned out to be transformational because it uh, pushed someone who's very structure oriented into the world of startups. Um, a social enterprise at that, which is, you know, often I think um, doubly hard. Um, so I did that for three years, worked at an educational social enterprise for three years, did operations, product, design, pedagogy, had no background in any of these, and I was essentially t- testing out hypotheses over there. Um, then I went for my MBA, and over there, again, um, contrary to a lot of advice, I didn't have a fixed path outside. I knew I wanted to test a few things out, which was, did, do, will I enjoy working in a large company? Um, how do you truly work in a very successful business that creates impact? And um, what is my definition of impact? So a lot of these things came in. Um, I eventually transitioned into doing innovation consulting, where we really focused on um, making companies relevant and stay relevant as they grow, as, they, as technologies change and particularly in the spaces of healthcare and life sciences. And that brings me to my current role, um, where I had um, strategy and business operations at a company that's building an AI-enabled platform to discover cures to diseases. It's, you know, it's a very circuitous path. Um, people, I would never have expected myself to be here, um, but I ended up coming here because I essentially kept trying different iterations out, um, and so I landed where I am today. Okay. You called yourself a traveler. Yes. Um, was school also a lot of travel? Interestingly, yes. So uh, my dad was in the railways. Um, so we spent every break traveling. I've probably been to almost every state in the country. Um, and But so the, in terms of the actual physical movement, it was a fair amount of travel. Um, in terms of um, um, actual exploration, I think it was, you know, I was very good at academics, but I was fairly interested in public speaking in, um, in you know, just in theater. And that, you know, it was these two areas that I, where I explored a lot. Uh, I think in it, school? In school. Okay. 
I think debating pushed me a lot because it it forced me to be able to hold two contrarian thoughts and think through how they make sense or they don't. It helped me see the other point of view. It helped me really challenge what I believe to be true. And sometimes, you know, realize that even very provocative ideas can be defended logically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there the exploration was more, you know, in the mind. Um, and But I think I'm very thankful for it because that's kind of one of the reasons why I have friends who are very different. I have done things which are very different because I'm comfortable with holding ideas that don't seem to get along. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, now that I, you know, now that I was thinking about it, I do think some of that has to do with it. Um, why, when and why did you decide to pursue engineering? So this one is probably one of the biggest cliches of my life. Mm. I didn't want to do engineering. Yeah. Um, I was um, someone who <clears throat> was very good at math and science, but I didn't really want to do it. Uh, you know, and then I became, once I started preparing for engineering, I got competitive and I was like, okay, I mean, if I'm doing it, might as well do it well. Um, I think I was fairly fortunate that I got into IIT Delhi, which even though it's an engineering school is, you know, for an Indian school is fairly multidimensional. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of extracurriculars happening. And even within the academic, there are a lot of open courses, a lot of electives in humanities, a lot of width of experience, which helped me then make the most of it. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I think an engineering education gave me a certain scientific temperament, which helped me in the long run. But that was one of my prob- perhaps only conventional choices um, that I've ever made so far. What is the first day at IIT like and how is it different from Harvard Business School's first day? Oh, that, that, that's a really good question. Um, so the first day of IIT was very um, overwhelming. It was, um, I sort of, I remember my first class was in mechanics and I was pretty certain that it, it would be very challenging for me to keep pace with the academic rigor. And, um, but I sort of, with the people, I found it much easier. I was like, okay, these seem very similar to the sort of um, quote unquote background I had come from. Um, Harvard's first day was different because I don't think I ever was uncertain on whether I'd cope with it academically. Um, But it was just a fairly transformational experience. Um, I was, you know, uh, I was sitting next to people who I would never have met in a different life. Give me an example. So the person who sat next to me had served in the U.S. Army for um, six, seven years. I really don't think I ever thought I'd go to school with somebody with that background. Um, And after the first few uh, days and weeks took adjustment. um, And then over time, I'm very grateful for it. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's not just a different educational perspective. It's a different, how do different people from different nations think about things? How do people from incredibly different backgrounds think about things? Um, So they were two very different experiences. The first day at both those places. Walk me through some experiences at IIT Delhi, which um, molded your thought process. Memorable experiences, challenges, anything. I think the first one, which is an interesting one, that's probably the highlight of my time at IIT, and it has nothing to do with academics. Um, So I came from a, I had grown up in Delhi. I'd done a lot of debating at the school level. And when I got to IIT, I realized that because women were such a small share of population, uh, very few of them debated. 
and or over the last three to four years, there had become a culture where people assumed that women couldn't debate. Um, I've heard that, I'm told that this was much better earlier, but there was this gap in between. Um, and I remember that in my first year, we had done this, we used to have these inter-hostel sort of championships and we were, because nobody in my hostel wanted to debate, we sent in a team of freshers, first years, including myself. And we won one match, one debate, and people were surprised and shocked. Mm. And I found that, you know, uh, surprising, but also a tad disappointing that people were just so sure that this couldn't happen. Uh, in a very dram- so who was surprised the guys or the girls or both everyone okay it just you just get used to a certain pattern when you see a pattern over a certain number of years you're like well you know we don't expect them to mm-hmm. um and very ironically in our second year we put together a team of two second years and one first year and we again went in into the and we lifted the debating cup that year that was the first time that I know of in IIT's so history. So your hostel. Yeah, um, in IIT's history that, uh, you know, I think both uh, a women's hostel as well as such a young team had ever, like, lifted the um, debating uh, cup. And it was, for me, it was almost a question of, like, I think it's a question of, like, realizing how uh, how easy it can be to stereotype when you see a certain pattern. And... Um, also, just like how much fun there is to prove that they, that may not be the case. Um, and I think that um, for me was very, that was one of the most transformational things in my life. Just that ability to do something that people don't expect you to do. Um, and since then, I think, you know, as more and more people kept doing it, a certain momentum kept building. I don't think that today um, women who enter ever have to hear what I had heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that momentum continues because I'm well aware that if that momentum breaks for enough number of years, we'll potentially be still scratch, starting from scratch. So that was definitely a very, very um, transformational experience. So interesting you say that because uh, I don't know if you remember, we discussed once expectations and performance are yeah. related. Yes, uh, that's, that's definitely the case. I think... Uh, Sometimes, so I actually think of it in a very interesting way, which is that if you, the joy is sometimes the difference between what you expect and what you get. I think that was so, uh, such a joyful event for us, mainly because nobody, including ourselves, expected it. Um, so, and some of those people in that team, some of the people I'm really close to today who continue to be very dear friends are from that time. Because it was just such a momentous and transformational experience for us. Even though it seems like a very simple sort of set of events. But it was truly transformational because we did something that no one expected us to do, including ourselves. Right. So So, so this was one clearly... clearly. This was, yeah. Yeah. It was. And, uh, you know, in college, like, when did you... when? What was the career thought process like? Because at IIT, you could have become a mechanical engineer, taken up a job in consulting. Sure. What, w- what was the unsanitized thought process when it came, came to careers? So um, I was, so I, again, because I had decided to do engineering following the group, I had decided to do consulting following the group. Uh, and in Early fact, on? Like- uh, probably in my probably third year, not very early on. Um, I had done internships in engineering and realized I wasn't. So in first and second year, you yeah. had done some. 
and I realized I wasn't a very good fit for it. Um, Why is that? I um, so I think I truly wasn't that passionate. It didn't like keep me up at night. It didn't. It's not something that really impacted the way I functioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not. So then I had decided, and then I was going to do consulting. Um, and it was in fact one of the things that one of the biggest disappointments of my life that really made me think about my career. Hmm. So um, IIT has a um, you know has a uh, recruitment process which has a day one where you have all the sort of top companies come in. And um, I remember I had shortlists for every company on day one, and then because um, you had good grades, I had I had good grades. I had a good extracurricular trajectory i had done lots of very diverse things you're a dancer as well uh yes i haven't done that for many years okay so that was way before college um but i had done a lot of debating i had done i used to run the student mentorship program at iit so a lot of very different things there and um one of the things that um uh, i think for me that was one of the most biggest disappointments because i had never truly learned in all of these years to deal with pressure our expectation. So on. Tell the, me more expectations. No, you hadn't. I hadn't. I had sort of like in IIT when I got in. Uh, honestly, no one expected me to get in. Really. I didn't. I I only studied for one year, class eleventh. I wasn't studying. I was just like randomly. I don't want to do this. So nobody had ever expected me to get in. Your parents did they? Expect? They didn't. Okay. Uh, I didn't either. I think one of the jokes in our family is that when my rank came out, um, do you I remember was, the rank? I do. Um, it was thousand seven, and I remember we used to have those PCs at that time, mm-hmm. and I leaned close to the screen and I was trying to count the zeros because <laughs> I was convinced that it was ten thousand seven. Uh, wow! Really? It yeah, just wasn't under. Yeah, I I prepared for barely eleven or twelve months. So your parents didn't put any pressure on you. They had zero expectations academically. They, they wanted me to do engineering, but they just did not think that I would get into IIT Delhi, like, or I would get a thousand seven rank. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't something like they knew I had barely prepared in class eleventh. Right. Uh so yeah i think my best case rank was 3000 or something and mm-hmm. i was like okay clearly go and count the zeros um but um so so then i really did not i think i had often done well where people didn't expect me to do well right so that was iit that was with debating mm. and then with day 1 everyone expected me to a lot of people expected me to land the first offer you mean one of the management consulting yeah. banking yeah and i had like i had shortlists in almost every company i think almost all that i applied to mm-hmm. and then i caved under pressure oh really right? like i did not do well in my first interview are you comfortable talking about the, what happened yeah sure i mean i think in many ways i put i saw this as the beginning and the end for me this was it and then i didn't do well in the first interview um, and this was also very, you know, for those who aren't familiar, day one can be a fairly chaotic process because you're running from one interview to the other. You often don't have time to pause in between. Um, if, peop- if a person has good resilience, they'll, you know, take a couple of bad performance in their stride and really bounce back. Um, I did not have the resilience at that time. Right? Like, Is it because you had never failed? I think that's true. I had never failed. There was nothing that I had wanted and I didn't get. Uh, It was often like, I don't expect this would happen and something better happened. 
So I didn't truly have too many past examples of failure. Right. Um so when So f- that was the first time you experienced something close to sure. a failure. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. I didn't have the skill set, I didn't have the muscle memory to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um and Do you remember the interview what was the physical experience like? Were you did you sweat? Did I you did. fumble? I did. I was I think it was just like I didn't I did oh, I just got nervous. I wasn't myself. Um I felt like I had to be somebody versus being myself. um and i think i also felt like i put a lot of pressure on myself mm. so um at the end of the day i did land a job on day 1 and everyone was very excited but it wasn't the company that you know i mm-hmm. may have wanted at that time but for me i think in in retrospect i think that was so beneficial because i was about 21 22 till then and i had z- literally zero muscles to deal with failure and i have seen people who have very similar experiences where they just don't know how to respond to something not going their way. Right. Um and the real world is much more as you grow older it's it's it happens much more often. Mm-hmm. So you have to be in fact it's about it's you know truly people who succeed are the ones who can you know jump back up more number of times than they fall down. Yeah. But it's not something that I had ever till that point had to experience. Who did you confide in or who were you when you were grappling with a semblance of failure although people will question whether that counts yeah, as failure it, or not it's <laughs> all very relative i yeah. don't think it's a, yeah. you know i i realize how um how superficial it can sound to some I, people i i didn't mean that no, I, no. i'm just saying that failure is also relative sure like, absolutely yeah, and that's yeah, what i meant yeah. uh, that it's like it can seem like oh you're really going to call that failure um but yeah it was i think for me it was very much about i had mentors in my life um people who had been close to I got a lot of perspective from them. Uh one of the things that I did a lot at that point was I mentored a lot of students. Um you know people who juniors mostly juniors yeah. and did it in both like institutional and personal capacities. Um I I mentored um first year students who came into IIT with no backgrounds in English to study in a curriculum that was in Are English. Are there a fair bit? There's a decent number. It's not a very large one, but the exam, the joint entrance exam is in more than one language so you could have done really well and gotten in not be able to cope with the curriculum it made me appreciate that everyone has their own battle and truly it's about like sort of rising up um behind so i think a lot of my experience having mentored people helped me get perspective on my life also get me get perspective of my own privilege and that the things that were really that i was treating as life and death weren't life and death mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. um So then I had actually applied to um after that I took a spent a lot of time soul searching um what did I truly want and then um, after the day one interview after the day one interview and you had a job I had a job yeah. everything and I was just like trying to soul search and try, and more than soul search also develop a better internal capacity which didn't wasn't influenced by what other people thought of me right um that by the way continues to be a work in progress because if you've quote unquote achieved a few number of things in life you start measuring yourself a lot against what other people think of you um so uh then i got into um the harvard 2 plus 2 and i had applied for a very different reason i applied because the program seemed interesting and so i so let's 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 do sure. go deeper in this which month was the job uh, was day one this was december december to, to 2000 2011 2011 december 
and then uh, I believe the HBS two plus two deadline is around April. It's April. April is the last round. April is the last round. Yeah. So you got the job. Then what was going on in your head? You did some soul searching. How I did MBA come into the mix? I think I knew I was sort of interested. Um, I had actually often aspired for the Kennedy School as just for some notional reason. You should tell people what the Kennedy the, School the is. The Kennedy School is the government school at uh, you know it focuses on government and public policy at Harvard. Um, I've just been fascinated by it. Um, it goes back to what you said. You were always interested in how society links yeah, with business and yeah. tech. Yeah. And uh, after that, I uh, heard about the Harvard Two Plus Two from like you know my um, elder cousin. I had a few friends tell me about it, and I found it an inter- interesting program. First, I thought it wasn't real. Who gives an admission to a final year student into an MBA school? Um, my reason was actually. very different from most people's reason at that point i really wanted to i never applied for a us school i wanted to do that two i wanted to try and test myself to apply at something where i had more odds of failure than success wow tell me more about that i i knew that my um i knew that one of my biggest challenges had been that i didn't know how to deal with failure so i wanted to push myself to try something out where i had much more odds of failing than succeeding mm-hmm. and you know i thought it would be an interesting process mm-hmm. and um, yeah so yeah so day one you had a job um, and then tell me like uh, what was the thought process um so i think for me i had a very different thought process about the two plus two than most people um i had never applied to a school in the us and i thought it would be an interesting muscle to build because i knew that in the future i might be interested in doing that the program also seemed really interesting uh i partly didn't believe it i was like who gives an admission to someone who's in their final year um and more importantly i wanted to push myself to do something where the odds of failure were higher than the odds of success um because if if i'd learned one thing from my experience on day 1 was the fact that i didn't know how to deal with failure mm-hmm. so it just seemed like and you know honestly i had very little to lose Right. Things weren't going to like nothing was going to be very Now, In the beginning of the podcast you also talked about uh, your fascination for society and business. Yeah. yeah. So you uh, you didn't feel like Kennedy then? I I would have I thought I would, you know, sort of I could apply to Kennedy later as well. And I think for me it was I was still trying to explore what made sense for me. Okay. So I wasn't really like married to one idea at that point. And I think the program the more I read about HBS it started, started sounding like a very interesting place. uh business started sounding more and more interesting right um so that's when i decided so this um in january i gave my gmat um i was still dilly dallying i wasn't very sure if i wanted so you to took a date in december that's an important step yeah. right sometimes just taking a date makes you prepare yeah i just took a date in december i gave my gmat in jan um it's a very good idea to give your gmat when you're in college you just have those muscles working i had to do very little if any preparation and that wasn't because i'm very smart or anything like that it just that was very much linked to what i was doing at that time and december's many times off as well yeah, yeah. so that was a good time to that i took my jhari chimat in fourth year as well yeah it's just it's a good time to do it yeah. right you you're not you're not dealing with like a day to day job and all of that and um, then i actually i kept delaying applying So I only began applying on March fifteenth or twentieth. So you were happy with your score, right? Whatever. Yeah, I was happy with my score. Yeah. I, what 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 did you get? My score was seven fifty or seven sixty. Okay. I don't remember, but I remember it. But was, on the higher side. It was on the higher side. Yeah. And um, 
I kept I kept procrastinating and going back and forth on should I apply or should I not, especially on what would it do to my confidence mm-hmm. if I didn't get in. Um, you know. But if, here you said that you wanted you the odds were yeah, one of the reasons why you were applying. I did. So if I was equally fascinated and equally terrified That's at the prospect, yeah. which is why I kept going back and forth. Um, I finally decided to start writing my application on like March fifteenth or twentieth for an April tenth deadline. That is highly not recommended. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like it. And then I submitted it my application on April 10th. So um, let's. So were you thinking from January to March? Were you thinking about what you would write in your application? I wasn't. You weren't. I was doing a lot of soul searching, hmm. which, by the way, which is important, help, right? Which, by the way, helped me write the application in retrospect. But I wasn't thinking of it from the point of view of the mm-hmm. application. Hmm. I just spent enough time thinking about myself, hmm. which a lot of people don't tend to do. Hmm. You know, and uh, that actually, I think, leads to a more authentic voice, Mm -hmm. uh, both in your essay as well as in your interviews. But it wasn't intentional. Um, I think the great thing from the process is especially so at that time, um, the admissions process used to have four essays. And um, they were all about like your biggest failures, your biggest uh, successes and, you know, very... Um, they should really make you think about your life. I loved that process. But it would have been super hard, especially the failure essay. Actually, it wasn't because by that time I had made a lot of peace with it. So it got me to a point where I was very happy. Ref- like I had reached the point where I could reflect on it from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was... And maybe you stumbled upon different failures that at that time didn't strike yeah, as failures. it didn't. And I think I, in fact, I don't think I wrote about my day one as one of those failures, which mm-hmm. seems interesting in retrospect. Um, but I um, I just like loved the process because it gave me a structured way to think about my life in a more holistic sense. And um, I, after, I remember very clearly after I submitted and one of the rare times in my life, I wasn't really concerned about the outcome. Mm. I was just very happy with what had happened. Like, I felt like this was a great experience. I had learned a lot of things. And um, in the worst case scenario, if I didn't get an ad, you know, invite, this was still... Worth it. Worth it. Worth it, yeah. This was worth it. So how did you go about writing the essays? Um, so I often, I started off with a very broad, I, you know, I rambled to a lot of people because I do, I think better when I speak. Uh, I heard there's, my, lot, there's a very interesting research on this really? some people uh, think better when they speak I think mm-hmm. I'm one of those as well right. some people think better when they write interesting and some people just think better when they sit quietly so, and do nothing yeah so so I was one of those people who did better I could like really get clarity when I spoke so I used to speak to people I, I spoke out loud to myself and recorded myself and then I um, used to crystallize those into writing um, I never sat down and wrote first time because um, that was, I was not. So you'll confident. find a friend, talk to him or her about the thought process. Yeah. And then think it through and write it uh, on a word doc. Yeah. And I would often record myself, hear myself back mm-hmm. and really try and see what are the themes I was trying to highlight. Yeah. It's really, an, it's it's a discovery process, It's a discovery right? process. Like from the sound of it, like for, for somebody seeing it, it can be pretty unsettling, right? It like is. what is she doing? It, yeah. It's pretty yeah. odd. Uh, I was very fortunate to have like two or three close friends and mentors. I didn't have a very wide feedback loop. I had a very narrow and deep feedback loop, which worked very well for me. Um, and I think eventually, I think I really liked where my essays had landed. Mm-hmm. 
um, and I did a fairly similar exercise for the interviews once I got the admit, um, the interview call. Yeah. Really. So who were your referees when you submitted? Um, so I had uh, uh, one of the referees was um, my uh, one of the professors, actually a professor from the humanities department who I had done a project with. I see. Which year um, did you do that project in? In my third year. I see. Um, elective. Yeah. Elective. Okay. Elective project. And um, I used to, um, you know, my other um, reference came from my future boss who had also, so I had volunteered with Avanti Fellows um, and uh, he was one of my references. So in undergrad, you did volunteering yes. with uh, Akshay yes. and uh, Avanti. Uh, Akshay and Krishna and Avanti. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Akshay was one of my references. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, I, when I was graduating, they also were setting up the actual for-profit entity. Right. Um, and that was also my first job. Mm -hmm. um, so Akshay was, yeah, Akshay had known me since I was an undergrad. So did you give points of reference to them or you just asked them to write whatever they felt so, like? Um, I think I, I think both of them knew me well enough and we had talked through our narrative. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, in fact, Akshay was one of the people who really helped me um, sharpen my own thought process. Mm -hmm. So they knew me very well. Right. And as a person, as, as a professional, a person, as, as a, a volunteer. Everything. They knew me well. And uh, I completely trusted that what they said would be. They knew me well enough. We discussed it, but I didn't really need to tell them to highlight A or B. Hmm. Uh, that was because I had that kind of dynamic with both him yeah, as well as the yeah. professor. I think I've just found that to be such a such an important part of any referral or recommendation. Yeah. Uh, somebody who can really talk about you, yeah. not in generic platitudes, right. but okay, this is what she did here. Yeah. Or this is what how she thinks, like this is how she responds under yeah. pressure. I think that's such an important part. And even when you have to think about somebody... Uh, really higher up in the food chain who doesn't know you yeah. versus somebody who knows you very yeah. well and can add color to your application. I think you should probably choose the latter. Absolutely. I think it's uh, someone needs to know you more than a couple of layers deep. Yeah. Because uh, then they really talk about you, the person, and that there's a coherence that builds with the way you are reflecting yourself as a person in your essays and um, your interview. And that coherence is 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 my best guess of what admissions committees look for right so yeah that, that that makes a lot of difference yeah how did it feel when you got the interview call and roughly when was that after submitting the application i think seven days later really yeah i think that's the last round okay i'd say april 17th yes april so for two plus two people have a window to apply or the last date is april and people can apply anytime no they can do they can in fact at that time they could do four rounds okay it used to be september uh, July, September, January, and April. It I used see. to be. I know that's changed since then. Yeah. Um, April, the deadline was 10th, you know, give or take a day or two. And then April 17th was uh, the day you got your interview call. And I think I interviewed on May 10th or May 11th. And when were you graduating? I would imagine. Same that... time. Really? Yeah. I had my thesis presentation one day before my interview. Okay. So... So you yeah. got your interview call seven yeah. days hence. Uh, were you surprised? Were you? Oh, I was very surprised. Hmm. I was very surprised. Uh, actually, I, I felt good about my application. Hmm. So I think thought I had done well. But yeah, I was fairly surprised. How many rounds of editing did you do before submitting your application? I'd say about 10, 15. 10, 10 15. To 15. The really going through every comma, every full stop. Yeah. 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 So important. And then when you got the interview call, who did you call first? 
Um, I don't remember. It's been many years. <laughs> um, and how did you go about preparing? I think again, I I I went back to the same people who had helped me early on. Okay. Uh, because they knew my story. Um, and I knew that essentially the thing that I needed to focus on was, um, being able to HBS has a thirty minute interview. Um, very time bound, and you have to be able to really give very precise answers. Um, so I spent a lot of my time preparing on cue cards, being able to say a really profound thing in your life in two to three sentences. As a twenty-two year old, and that's very hard. <laughs> As a twenty-two year old, you're used to rambling of much more. Yeah. Um, I I wasn't consist. I wasn't concerned about coherence, consistency at all, because I had been incredibly authentic in my essay. Yeah. So there wasn't anything that I had like played up or played down or anything of that. But I knew I needed to get what something if something meant really deeply to me. Mm-hmm. Try being able to communicate that in mm. two to three sentences is harder than one would imagine. So how did the interview go on the D Day? Uh, it was kind of interesting because there was a storm and I was doing a Skype interview. So my biggest concern was if the internet would go off in between. What was um, your plan of action? I was very close to the head of the board for student welfare, the professor who had headed that at IIT. Um, he very graciously gave me access to his office, uh, which you know usually with the LAN and those offices had better quality internet. So mm. I remember giving my interview from a professor's office, <laughs> which is a very unusual experience. Uh, so it, the interview technically went fine, like no internet surprises. No internet surprises. Yeah, no electricity surprises. Sometimes yeah, that happens. As all well. of that was possible, ex- yeah. given it was very stormy outside. I had some of the nicest possible friends who were waiting outside. They're like, "We have backup. You know, we'll figure something out. We have a dongle. We have two dongles, and we'll figure something out." Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of very interesting because those some of those people continue to be my closest friends today. Mm. Um, so yeah, the interview went well. I knew I was very happy at the end of the interview. Yeah, that was one of my biggest takeaways. Was, was it an alum interview or an admissions committee interview? No, so HBS doesn't do any alum interviews. Hmm. It's with the admissions committee. Um, and I felt like yes, this was a good conversation. You know, I felt. What were they really trying to get out of the interview? I think they often like try and my my best assessment is that they take four or five themes. And then they try and see within each theme they'll ask you two to three deep questions, and try and see if a this is co- this is accurate and coherent. But is this person truly who they represent? They are. Mm-hmm. And of course, HBS has clear pillars, which is around leadership, community engagement, and just trying to see if that adds up. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, I think I had a very good feeling after the interview. Did you have time to ask the person questions? Not really. Okay. I think we have the opportunity to ask one question, mm-hmm. but that's about it. So at thirty minutes, they literally stopped it's you. It's at thirty minutes. They stopped you, and then you concluded, and you went away. Yeah. And then what happened? How many days after did you hear back? Uh, six days. Six days. It's it's a very shortened process compared mm. to a lot of the other rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was May seventeenth or eighteenth. And what is it? Was it must was it an email and a phone call? Or an e- just, it was an email that year. Just an email. Not a phone call. Okay, so how did you respond? Where did you open the email? That was, um, yeah, I still remember. I had locked out all friends and family and told them I'm doing this on my own. So um, you knew where roughly it was coming today. Oh, everybody knew the time. Okay, you know exactly. It's I think twelve noon Eastern time or twelve thirty. So you know it's about nine nine thirty in India. You know exactly when it's coming. 
you just keep refreshing your browser. Hmm. Um, the thing that I remember with were you refreshing your browser the day that your IIT results came out as well? Oh yeah. Okay, so you you had a knack. You thought you will get in. You thought. Um, for IIT. Yeah. I think it was more like I knew I would by that time I knew I would get in. Yeah. The rank was the surprise. All right, got it. Uh, and. Uh, and were your parents around when you were checking your IIT? No, I, I don't let anybody be around me. They have to be outside. Okay, so they were outside. And same for HBS same as well. Same for HBS. So they were waiting outside. And yeah. then, then what happened? It's kind of interesting because they don't send you the answer in the email. They send you a link. Hmm. So then you click on the link and then you have to put your login details. Yeah. Which seems like... It's so counterintuitive, right? And it's also <laughs> very... Uh, it just builds up, heightens your emotions. Because... Hmm. Uh, so the, I don't know, the first email is that your result has been updated. Yes, yes. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> um, why could you just list it yeah. here? Yeah. Um, that was my very clear memory. And then you log in. And then the only line I really remember reading, because they have it probably in like caps, is the answer is yes. Um, and then, then there's a very beautifully worded letter. Um, and um, yeah, that's... That was it. I think one of the biggest joys, personal joys of my life is that my um, uh, late grandfather at that time was suffering from Parkinson's and mm -hmm. wasn't very lucid. Mm -hmm. uh, but he uh, wanted a printout of that letter. Mm -hmm. And when he read a printout of that letter, it was one of the few last, you know, very lucid moments for him. Wow, that where he was very aware of what he was reading. Mm -hmm. So that letter means a lot to me beyond just the significance of what it did but yeah. the significance of what it meant to uh people in my life yeah so he insisted on getting a print out of that and he used to keep that print out next to his bed you know on his bedstand. so that i think uh, is a very strong set of memory i have associated with that so you you got the mail yeah how did you feel inside what was how did you process this i was just um i was euphoric um, and how did you express your euphoria I, I'm not a very expressive person, so it wasn't like I was doing anything. I was just like very happy. Mm -hmm. um, I think I had, you know, tears of joy. Um, and um, yeah, I think I, I had friends who had been pinging me. The same friends who had stood outside the door with dongles mm -hmm. were like, so tell us, tell us. So they weren't applying for the same program? They had not applied for okay. the same program. Um, so uh, yeah, that was it. And then... Um, it so was, you stepped out of your home or hostel? Where? This was home. This was, this was after IIT had finished. We okay. were sort of, yeah, we had just finished our exams. It was a very, everyone was very relaxed. Right. We were wrapping up college. So uh, in your controlled tears of joy, euphoria, you yes. finally opened the door. And yes. then who was outside? Uh, it was my parents. Okay. Um, and my younger brother. All right. And uh, they were also excited. I can imagine it must have been super special. It was a, it was a very special day. In fact, I'm, I'm thankful for having, getting a chance to recall that in this podcast. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. a beautiful memory. That's what we hope to, uh, you know, yeah. dive deeper into. Great. So now let's, uh, now you've processed the information. You've got into HBS. You set for two, three years. You, that's the rough uh, timeline you have. So what options did you consider? So I was, um, I was very, um, at that point, I was just wondering. So I knew that I wanted to do, I, I was actually debating between whether I want to do something unusual with hmm. that time really test some things out or if I wanted to go back to the beaten path or take that day one job yeah that was the beaten path as well as like maybe again reapply to the firms that had turned me down mm -hmm. uh, and that was a you know very real temptation that was the push that I got from a lot of why? people why um, why was that a temptation uh, because that's I had 
grown up following very safe paths. But let me ask you, look, basically, um, Peter Thiel says it, that education has largely become an insurance policy. Right. Now, you got the highest insurance yeah. possible. Why still seek more insurance? I think that's a pattern phenomenon. So uh, two plus two is across the world to very unconventional things. Uh, people across the world who got in, get admitted into Harvard, but that's not the pattern in India. In India, even people who've done the two plus two have typically done fairly quote unquote more traditional things. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to, you know, you're just like, at that time you're too young and you think that the more insurances you can grab, the better. Um, you kind of forget that that may that may mean that you're not pushing yourself enough. You're not taking enough risks. Um, thankfully, I didn't do that. Um, instead, I joined as employee number five at a company that was still being incorporated. Um, it was something that nobody assumed I would do. Mm-hmm. I was a much more, you know, middle of the road, conventional, very structure oriented person. And trying to go for a startup really pushed my boundaries of being able to deal with ambiguity, really punching above my weight, uh, pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Um, And I'm eternally grateful for that. Mm. Because had that not happened, I would have done well, but I would never have built these other types of, you know, skill sets, uh, ability to explore where there's a lot of, you know, that, that would have not really happened. Right. To be fair, a lot of, in a very valid response to this is, you had one of the best insurance policies in the world. Agreed. But it just, it's its all relative. You can always do more, right? Yeah. You, you can, can never be too insured. You can never be too insured. Yeah. Uh, but this is such a profound irony that I find. Uh, yeah. that Even people who work at the best of companies, best of, yeah. get into the best of schools, still face that nagging yeah. voice. Yeah. They, you know, you need more insurance. You need more insurance. In fact, my hypothesis is the more you're used to it, the more you crave it. The more you crave it. Jhumpa Lahiri in one of her books. Uh, have you read some yes, of her? Yes, I, I read, uh, read Do, do you remember that sentence that uh, Indians have a perpetual fear of disaster? Yeah. She was talking about her parents. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I do think there is something true about this, right? Our, you know, we grew up, I mean, I, I was born in 1990. This was just pre the liberalization uh, we grew up in a very different country. We grew up, um, you know, in fact, we are just, we represent people in this age group, represent just one generation which saw a changing India, you know, from a more closed economy to an open economy. The volume of your opportunities went through the roof. Even today, people, when I see five, six years younger, they're taking far more risks yeah. than I people in my age group took. And that's more than previously yeah, yeah so i do think some of it had to be the changing times yeah uh, and i'm very optimistic about this the fact that people are doing and trying and being more sure um let's explore this insurance policy a little more sure do you think in retrospect that getting into top business schools is an insurance policy or was an insurance policy for you i know that wasn't the case but uh Walk me through the insurance, the experience, plus sure. exploration in business school. I um, I will be very honest. I think it's an insurance policy. I, I think it will always be an insurance policy. I'm not sure when I applied, I had no intention of making it one. Um, 
the odds of getting were in were close to zero so really no intention but i'm very grateful and aware of the privilege that comes with having an insurance policy called a harvard education i'm not going to deny that i think the question is what do you do with that insurance right i think and then we'll come to that later but i really think that if you have insurance if you have a safety net instead of trying to grapple and trying to get more insurances i think in fact you should probably try and do more things because you have something to fall back yeah. on like give insurance a chance like give take insurance risks a chance. sure like <laughs> yeah i think and unfortunately it's often counterintuitive you often you almost end up wanting to do more which is get hold more insurance hmm. um but let me begin with the mba so um i spent three great years at avanti and uh, i did you know roles i for me it was very tr- for our non indian yes. uh, counterparts could you explain in a sentence what avanti sure. is uh, so avanti was a, is a social enterprise that is um, was really focusing on scaling an affordable high quality science and math model across the country um using technology as an enabler not a replacement for teachers but an enabler um very good experience for me because i worked um not just i mean so the the different functional things are one part of it it forced me to work in geographies i wasn't familiar with um i joke that i had lived in delhi all my life but i didn't know delhi beyond a canot place because mm-hmm. i grew up in south delhi and i saw a lot more mm-hmm. i saw very different places both in delhi and across the country it, it changed my perspective it also gave me a very real perspective of what it means to build a company bottom up especially if you care about impact um about making sure that your education the, the model helps students learn better especially if you care about the net good being created that is an added sort of it's a very real experience mm-hmm. it's very easy to easy to romanticize it but it's very very it's, it takes a lot of blood sweat and tears to be building it you know bottom up and you know i'm and you really, were employee number 5 yes and i'm also very proud of how the fact that the company continues to grow even today it's in like every it's in so many different cities across the country um in places you cities you wouldn't have heard of so that for me i think just like mm-hmm. takes is is a very real experience mm-hmm. uh so then when i was going for my mba by then i think interestingly enough i'd actually uh you know I had, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid. I really did think businesses could, you know, business was an interesting thing to explore mm-hmm. and go further into. Um I went into the MBA with trying to test out a few different hypotheses. Sure. Um I didn't have a clear outcome in my head. People are very clear like about which company they want to transition into. I didn't have that clarity. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to try out three or four different things. Um even from the beginning like the, we just when you entering yes, HBS you I wanted was, to try, try out I knew four. I had three three or four hypotheses to test out Did do you remember what they were Um not all of them but one of them was I wanted to work at a large company and try and see do I like working there mm-hmm. Um I wanted to um see where in the tech space if at all was I interested and I wanted to try and see to define what impact means for me and where i wanted to work in terms of like a business that does very well financially and generates impact those were three of the hypotheses i was testing out and um, more important and of course i i had a certain set of skills to build i had almost no business background i didn't know an income statement from a balance sheet 
Um, so clearly there was a lot of like skills to build. Um, and uh, one of the things that I had become very clear, um, very even in my first job was that I cared more about who I work with and what sort of an environment I work with than many other things. And, you know, we were fairly fortunate that the career services makes you do a lot of assessments and a lot of those self-assessments pointed to the same direction. That that was a very important... I couldn't agree more. Who you work with is probably the most defining indicator of your happiness, yeah. your growth. So critical. And um, for me, it just... It can make or break a job, basically. It can. Yeah. Um, it's not something we're very aware of. Mm. Just after undergrad, doesn't seem like an important metric, but it is. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I think I spent the two years um, very much trying. I think one of the things that worked well for me was the structure of the MBA at Harvard. Uh, the first year is required curriculum. So you just get an exposure to all the sort of basics of accounting, finance, strategy, marketing, um, you know, leadership and ethics, a broad spectrum of things. And the second year is purely elective cur curriculum. So you choose what you want to do. Um, and that blend worked really well for me because the first year really helped me hone skills that I had for, that had been an aim for me as someone with a non-business background. And uh, the second and by that time I was more familiar with the lay of the land. I'd already started pushing some of my hypotheses forward and by second year I just felt much more better placed to make the choose the different courses. Hmm. Um, so that spectrum worked. I loved the case method. Mm -hmm. I couldn't speak more highly of it. Uh, it also comes from my own previous... What is the case method for um, the uninitiated? Right. The case method is a method where you essentially take a business scenario in the form of a case. And this could be across any sort of course like strategy, marketing, finance. And you really analyze that case from the method of a business leader. You, as a class of 90, are going to debate the pros and cons um, of a certain scenario, decision that a business leader needs to make. And it's a very representative sample of what the real world looks like. So a question could be, um, should, you know, XYZ, you know, CEO look at expanding in Asia or not? And it's a very, it's, it, it, there's information, but there's limited information hmm. in order to really... Like life. Like life. Hmm. It's, it's deliberate. Um, so that's number one. It's limited information. Number two, it focuses in on making you realize that there is no right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. There are clear trade-offs and you need to live with the trade-offs of the decision you made, but there are no right or wrong answers. Right. This can be incredibly frustrating as well because if you come from a That's very... That's why the it depends is such a popular phrase. It is. Yeah. It depends is... Um, so if somebody asks, what do people think about the case method? My response would be it depends, mm -hmm. depending on what your perception of the method is. I was completely a fan from day one. And that was linked to the fact that I had worked in education. So I was convincing, I was convinced that the right way to teach people is to get them to engage with the content yeah. um, instead of being lectured to. Content and context as and well. Context, uh. And context as well. And just like making sure that you engage with it instead of passively listening to mm -hmm. it. And so, so uh, your first year was all requi required yeah. curriculum. And then you, you did you do an internship at the I end? did. I mm. did an internship at Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, which was in a, Seattle? In Seattle, mm -hmm. which was a very interesting experience. I got a chance to work at the intersection of the um, Fire TV as well as mm. the Alexa. Mm. And uh, it was a super interesting experience. I also saw it was like, it, 
that was the point where Amazon was really like picking up steam. Mm-hmm. This was 2016. So very interesting to see how the different teams functioned, how they interacted with each other, what would the dynamics at play. Um, I think, and overall, for me, it was a great learning summer, but also one that pointed me to the fact that I probably don't enjoy large companies mm-hmm. as much as I enjoy smaller setups. Right. And that was just a personal sort of realization yeah. of where I wanted to go after that. Right. Um, so and I think that I would encourage for anyone the way you think about internships. Internships are very good, low risk areas to test out a certain hypothesis. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for me, that was really helpful. The only way to really know whether you like something or not is to do it. Or yeah. Conduct micro risk experiments. Yeah. Sure. And I have uh, and I think for me, that was amazing because it, I, I still think Amazon is one of the coolest companies in the world. But it, for me, made me realize that I actually like working in smaller setups. Yeah. And that was a very good sort of indicator. Where your effort to impact ratio is yes. higher. Yes. Yeah. That, that's actually very well articulated. That, that's exactly what I, you know, um, what I realized I like. Yeah. So um, post Amazon, came back to college, came back with more insights. That yeah. There's a particular way you lean uh, more. Then um, how was second year like? Uh, so second year was an in- incredibly interesting experience, um, mainly because I was doing courses across a wide range of things that I'd already decided I wanted to experiment with. Um, <clears throat> so I had, a, I think one of the things that I can't recommend, you know, enough for MBAs is please do courses which are on quote unquote soft skills, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is coming from somebody who's already strong in soft skills. Yeah, I, I mean, arguably that was something that I felt like mm. I had often had, you know, spent a decent amount of time in even earlier. But um, some of those, just doing it in a right classroom environment with a really interesting peer group can be life changing. Um, I did amazing courses on authentic leadership development, which is very much on an introspection on your leadership style and what makes sense for you. Right. Um, Negotiations, uh, which started off as my Waterloo. I found it very difficult to negotiate in a personal context. And I deliberately pushed myself to take that course. Tell me more, because uh, I would be surprised if you would not be good at negotiation. A lot of people have that response. Yeah. Um, And I think... But you said in a personal context. So tell me more about what Um, you meant. So I think I can... um, I think I can negotiate for somebody else, for a company or an entity or some colleague, or even for that matter, advocate for somebody else. Um, Having, you know, maybe just given my own, you know, the way I grew up, it almost felt like, could you really assert and negotiate for yourself? Hmm. Like, is that a nice thing to do? And by the way, not a lot of people admit this, but this is a challenge that a lot of people face. Um, especially women, hmm. where you're more uncomfortable asserting and, you know, asking or slash even. But for me, I think the bigger realization was that negotiation, a good negotiation isn't actually a win and a loss. Mm-hmm. It is a sum total of an increase in value for both parties involved. Mm-hmm. If you really negotiate the right way. Yeah. If people think of it as a hundred, a pie of hundred and one gets 60 and one gets 40, for me, what was really insightful is that if you negotiate well, you could grow that pie to a 200. Right. Um, then, you know, you see how you split it up. Yeah. Or you think about um, 
how negotiation, how every interaction in life is often a negotiation. It is. It's not yeah. a professional thing. It's, you know, you negotiate with your auto wala. Yeah. Or your order. deadlines. Yeah. Or, or with, uh, yeah, with your parents on some things. And yeah. I think also knowing what is your, you know, what is your ceiling? Uh, what is your floor? Understanding those in a more sort of um, rational context just makes, brings to life things you are already doing. You already do these things. Uh, you just don't know you're doing them. Um, it makes you more aware of how mm-hmm. you think and people think. Um, and also the role emotions play in negotiations. It's an incredibly, like, it can be an incredibly emotional experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. So negotiations, again, can't emphasize soft And skills. how much manipulation is possible in negotiations? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that one should, I took away is that it's it's fairly easy to manipulate people if you understand what their triggers are yeah and it's very important to be careful with that and think about a scenario in which ai is you know fairly well spread how much and how at what levels can you trigger yeah Yeah. because you can see the patterns yeah right so it's very important um so that was really transformational for me um i also would encourage people to do courses i personally did courses and things that I just had a sort of gleaming interest in, but wasn't very sure what I was doing. Um, I was, um, I did a course called Building Life Sciences Businesses. I was probably the only person in that class of 50 or 60 who did not have a prior background in healthcare, did not have a PhD in biology, did not have an MD degree. Um, so I was literally the noob of the class. And it was a business school class? This it was one? a business school class. I see. But there was a lot of cross-registrants, mm-hmm. as well as a lot of people even at Harvard have PhDs and MDs in their background or are joint degree students. Um, and that was transformational because very surprisingly, that's a zone that I found which sort of intersected with a lot of my interests. Wow, that's so surprising. What what even prompted you to take that? Just curiosity? I had always been curious about healthcare because I saw some similarities with uh, education you know, large existing um, rigid structures, um, a lot of role of, you know, actual dynamics between, you know, stakeholders um, and just truly you could make the world a better place. Yeah. You know, in theory. Mm -hmm. And um, in the class, did you feel a little bit disadvantaged because you didn't have the context that others had? Initially, yes. Like, you know, I went into the class not knowing what, you know, what the f- different stages of a drug development process are. Mm. I didn't know what a payer or provider was. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, just for breaking it down, a payer is an insurance sort of thing and provider are your hospital systems. Right. I didn't even have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, I was just enjoying myself because I asked the most basic questions on earth. Mm-hmm. I was approaching it from first principles, which actually in retrospect, the professor also told me led to really good conversations. That's really interesting. Because over yeah. time, you end up assuming things as the default, but you don't realize how that's actually a bias. Mm-hmm. But you just got used to expecting that to be the case. Right. It was a very interesting case where I was the only person who voted yes and everyone else voted no mm-hmm. or the reverse. Mm-hmm. But I remember because that was the time the professor was like, hey, I'm going to call upon you because you're the only person who voted one way. Mm-hmm. Um, this was and were you able to defend your uh, thought? I think I could. I think most people got it. They were, we were discussing about doing clinical trials in African countries. Um, and I was approaching it from a very first principles point of view. And 
I think it was an interesting conversation because I got their point of view of why the industry needs to do certain things mm-hmm. and they got my point of view of how it can seem unusual if yeah. you think about it from mm-hmm. first principles. What are first principles? Um where you just break it down to if I often think about it if you had to explain this to a child mm-hmm. or if you had to like break it down for what it means and you just strip it of all the jargon what does that mean? Mhm. Uh get down to very sort of is this a transaction that's creating value for both people yeah. who gets more value so getting it down to just stripping it off a lot of the jargon that we get used yeah, to yeah um so that was a very transformational course for me um because after that i um you know i really thought that i wanted to pursue an interest in healthcare and life sciences further um and that sort of translated into um my first job How did that happen? So I was um so I I actually at that point again did not after my internship at Amazon was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um How exactly does one figure that out? Uh what I um what one wants to do. I think you talk to a lot of different people. Mhm. Uh I think one of the things And go to them with good questions. With good sp- specific questions. Yeah. Uh not like what should i do with my life yeah i think that's not a conversation that's not a helpful it's conversation it's not a helpful conversation you're right yeah. but really about what do you do what is it that you like or not don't like what allows you to succeed here yeah what is a challenge like ask them questions they can answer or how do you spend your day how i love you asking that that's a phenomenal question yeah. uh what does it take to what does it take for a person to succeed here who succeeds here yeah You know, you'll see patterns. There. Yeah, yeah. Who enjoys this work? Especially in large companies, you know, right. there are particular types of, of people, people who have a very clear advantage over absolutely other kinds of people. And I think I often ask the question: Who enjoys this work? Yeah. Who really enjoys it? Like, what's the personality type that you seem to notice hmm. really enjoys it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you can also get more professional help. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time with career coaches mm-hmm. um, who were again, at, the, at the business school. At the business school, yeah. these were people who had, you know, been industry veterans. They took out time to do a counseling, you know, coaching session with yeah. you. Again, my takeaway from that was you drive the session. Yeah. You go in with your questions. Yeah, yeah. They are not going to drive it for you. Yeah, yeah. Because they can't give you generic kyan. And I think it's so important that. Um, students young professionals learn to drive conversation yeah. because that requires preparation it requires preparations it yeah. requires having narrowing it down to asking two or three questions yeah you can't go and synthesizing what synthesizing. are you really trying to get at yeah. right if you go like what is this company about that but that answer is available yeah. online and yeah. i think it's not in the your interest not in the other person's interest so i think spot on um so i um So I decided that I probably did not, you know, I was looking at smaller setups. I wanted to look at innovative interesting things. I was looking at it from very I was I think it was very interesting by very early on my exploration. I came up um, across a boutique firm called Innersight. Mm-hmm. Um Innersight um was founded by Clayton Christensen who is a professor at Harvard and he's very well known. Did you get to take one of his classes? I had actually not taken his class which okay. was very interesting. I heard him speak many times and I planned to take his class in the second semester. Mm-hmm. But something happened before that. Um mm. I got a job at Innersight so I decided mm. that I will not um mm. 
I actually wanted to keep the surprise on. And at that time, was visa a challenge or? Visas are a challenge. So clearly, your options are narrowed in on with companies. You have an sponsor. OPT there. That you do time. have an OPT, yeah. but you'd want to look at employers. For others, it's optional practical training yeah. where after graduating, you get one year or three years if you're a STEM yeah. degree person. Yeah. And um, I think so with Innosight, it was very interesting because I was very intrigued by the work. They do a lot of work on innovation, especially how large companies need to keep innovating. Mm-hmm. And how do they innovate? How does a large ship keep responding to very the changing dynamics in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and but I didn't at that point. I was like, do I want to do consulting? Wasn't very sure. Hmm. Um, how I, did you get that job? So I the Innosight comes on campus. Okay. They float an opportunity. I have to give enough credit to the role interviewers hmm. and an interview process plays. Mm-hmm. I have never been in more love. Uh, I've never been more in love with an interview process than Innosight. Than Innosight. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed my first interview. You know, the conversation with my first interview. I Why? Felt, what was it like? It felt like a conversation. Hmm. She wasn't trying to trip me over. Hmm. She wasn't trying to like. She just wanted. It. She's like, this is a scenario. This is what we deal with. Let's work as if we were colleagues. Hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, she's a very close friend today. Really? Um, she was my mentor. And then after, you know, we both left the company at a similar time. And now we're still in touch and very good friends. Right. Um, and did you get to work with Clayton? No, he he's not involved so much in the day to day. He really mm. gives the broader strategic mm-hmm. direction. But you get to interact with him. Yeah. Um, I've always enjoyed listening to him. Yeah, and it's yeah. a very powerful message for the large companies mm. of the world who are mm. facing so many of these disruptive threats from new technologies, new startups, and just how do you keep innovating? I think some of those lessons are very relevant for human beings as well. For sure, yeah. You have to keep iterating. And um, I think the, you know, the interview process also involves um, working with your co-interviewees. Mm-hmm. So you work together on a very interesting instead of competing and for me that philosophically really resonated with me i love the day on site um and at the end of it i was like i really wish they make me this offer because mm-hmm. i loved interacting mm-hmm. with these people mm-hmm. so um when i got an offer it was almost a no-brainer so that's where you joined that's where i joined um i spent a really good you know year or so there which was um very um i focused on healthcare and you know a lot of even at innosite yeah and that was chance innosite does a decent amount of healthcare work mm. and i was like oh this already seems interesting let me sort of pursue this mm. bit more and this was in boston this was in boston got it yeah uh, and after that um i think i had already started you know i really enjoyed my time there but i had already started realizing that i wanted to uh a find something that allows me to be in india or closer to it and be why uh, that just had been a long-term goal to be be close to home yes yeah um and to still keep traveling and working in different mm. places but to feel like that was possible oh. and in many ways again it's not just your own choice my h1b didn't come through mm. in the lottery um if I'd, if it had come through i would have definitely stayed with the firm for a few more years in a site in a site yeah. and would have sort of you know taken that decision a few years later because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the people I right. worked with really right. enjoyed the work but when it came to it didn't come through I was I had the option of either moving to other offices and trying to see if I could get back to the US or really trying to see if I want to do something else sure and at that point again I realized that I wanted to take the plunge to see what it means to move to India hmm. uh, because for a lot of people you end up you know postponing when you move hmm. and then you never move yeah 
it gets harder as you stay longer. And um, so I had again known of the company, my current um, uh, employer, which is a startup called Elucidator. And like I mentioned, we are working on building an AI-enabled solution in order to help early stage drug discovery. Um, so again, I, I also want to emphasize the power of networks. I already knew one of the co-founders from my time at IIT Delhi. Mm -hmm. his from IIT Delhi? From IIT Delhi. Okay. Um, and his co-founder was based in Cambridge. Hmm. And we had met a few times even when I wasn't I see. working. So this is an Indian co-founder? Yes. So okay. the company is founded by um, two Indian, one in, you know, somebody who lives in India, as well as somebody who is an hmm. Indian origin person who lives in the US. Hmm. And I had met, I obviously knew... Um, co-founder based in India from my time at IIT mm -hmm. and I had met his co-founder who lived in Cambridge when I was living there mm. so I already knew about the company mm. and I was super excited by what they were doing mm. um, if you live in Boston and if you have any interest in healthcare you just you get like super excited about this space mm -hmm. you know uh, this is this is a life-changing space you could ideally find cures to diseases that um, don't exist and data is transforming it or has the potential to transform it mm -hmm. and um, if you know it was really aligned to and again I want to point to serendipity yeah um, I chose the course that got me interested I continued speaking to my friend who I'd known from IIT who had started this company who was also a colleague at Avanti. So really? Just to make wow. sure that all this of this is, is interrelated. This is beautiful. Um, How dots connect. Such a mystery. Dots connect. Yeah. Um, and um, I had, yeah, and then by then I'd also continued focusing on healthcare and I'd gotten further interested in this space because of my work at Innersight. Mm -hmm. So all of these lead somewhere. And um, yeah, that's where it was. And then I decided that this is great because this is very much line in line. It's a fusion of all your interests. It's and, a fusion. Yeah. yeah, and also testing if I can go back to the exciting world of startups again. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's what brought me where I am today. Perfect. You know, we're just uh, coming towards the close of this interview. Yeah. It's been fascinating, by the way. Just any, like, uh, parting career thoughts for our uh, for our community? Yeah, I think one is uh, don't think of anything being life and death. Of if you do this, that's the only way you get to do Y. People's paths are very different. Um, so sure, I think it's good to talk to people, get as much information as you like, but you can't replicate someone else's path. Yeah, It's not even helpful. Yeah, You might find something very different. Um and two is, and this is some, and this is coming from someone who's still building it, build the muscle of failing. Because mm -hmm. you will have to fail yeah. at some point or the other. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's something I continue to do and I can't emphasize enough because yeah. a lot of folks who've achieved, you know, in different setups, they struggle the hardest to fail. Yeah. This has been fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank this podcast will go out to thousands of people around the world. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you.